So get this, an insurance agent, a marketing rep, and an underwriter walk into a bar, right? Oh, wait a minute. That's not the insurance story for this podcast. We better stay on topic today. So let's jump right into it. Welcome to the Ultimate Insurance Agency Podcast, Planet of the Agents. Planet of the Agents. Where we give you the real scoop on being an insurance agent and running an agency. This show is all about helping you focus on earning more money as an agent and building your own insurance empire. Empire. Here's your industry-leading host who has generated tens of thousands of insurance leads. This is Dave Baker. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the big show, everybody. I am so excited to have you all back here with me. I love nothing more than talking about my passion, insurance. Am I serious? I am serious. I love building a business. I love seeing my business grow. I love helping customers. And moreover, I actually now love helping my fellow agents and other people in the industry who are struggling, who are trying to grow, who are in the infancy stages, and those that are just trying to adapt to the modern world. That's why I'm here, because I want to share my stories and my experiences with you to make your business better. Today, I want to talk about something that I didn't understand when I first started about 16 years ago, and that was the concept of building your business and your agency on your own terms. First, I want to start today with a story that a fellow agent recently told me about an experience that he had with a customer that walked into his retail agency. By retail here, in this case, I obviously mean a storefront agency where he has walk-in business. So here's what happened. He said that a potential client came into his office and wanted to talk about personal auto insurance. He met with the client, talked about his situation, and he got him a quote for personal auto insurance. Now, When he was talking to the customer, he could see the vehicle and he could see that it was some sort of truck or van that could haul things. So logically, he asked the customer, well, what do you use this vehicle for? And he said, oh, I just use it to haul my motorcycles or some other personal items. At that point, he wanted to get the VIN, the vehicle identification number, so he could get an accurate quote. So he asked the customer if they could walk outside and take a look at it. So... When he sees the vehicle, he notices there are some tools in the vehicle. Ding! A light bulb comes on. So logically, he asked him what he did for a living. And he mentioned that he was a contractor. Hmm. Now, the gentleman was a contractor. He had a vehicle that looked like a business vehicle. And he had tools in the vehicle. What more do you need to bring up the concept of commercial auto insurance? So... He asked the customer again what he uses the vehicle for. And the customer likely stuck to his story, maybe varied it a little in the conversation, but he was clearly there with the intent of purchasing a personal policy. So the agent, looking to do the right thing, he gets him a quote for commercial auto insurance or some sort of business usage that would allow him to use it as a personal vehicle, but also as a contractor. As you know, if you write personal lines, there are many carriers that will allow artisan contractors, such as plumbers, electricians, or painters, to add business usage to their policy so that they could use it in the course of their business and they could use it uh, for personal usage. 
If you work in commercial insurance, I'm sure you're familiar with different types of commercial auto policies that would allow a contractor to use a vehicle for a work purpose. Just a quick disclaimer, I'm not saying any policy covers any specific sort of usage. I'm just giving you some examples. Let's get back to the story. So he discusses it with the customer and suggests nicely that it appears that he uses a vehicle for a business purpose. And being the responsible agent that he is, he doesn't want him to purchase a purely personal lines policy that would not allow this. He explains to the customer that should anything happen and he was in an accident and they determined that the vehicle was used for business usage or some sort of commercial purpose that they may be able to deny the claim. So he was looking out for the customer by trying to provide him with the correct type of quote. Unfortunately, and not surprisingly, the price for commercial usage or business usage on a policy is higher than personal usage. This makes sense, and this is common, but that's not what the customer wanted to hear. Now, this particular customer asked him if he could accommodate his request and simply sell him a personal lines policy, but the agent wanted to do the right thing. He was doing something called field underwriting. He wasn't waiting for an underwriter to come back and check different factors that may appear on the back end at some point or to check a website or to Google the guy's name. He was underwriting in real time, determining that he feels that the client or potential client in this case was using the vehicle for a business purpose. And he did the right thing. And he said, based on what I see here, it looks like I have to help you get a commercial usage policy or business usage policy. The customer did not like the price and said, well, I'll just go somewhere else and get the policy from somebody else. But the agent stood his ground and once again did the right thing because he could tell that he was not using it for only personal purposes. And then he told the customer he wouldn't be able to help him with a personal lines policy. So what do you think happened? Well, of course, the customer did in fact go down the street or to another local agent, gave him a similar story and ultimately purchased such a policy. This agent actually took it upon himself to contact the marketing rep and let him know the situation. Obviously, he had some information on the vehicle, such as the VIN, but the marketing rep let him know, well, there's nothing that we can do about it. So at this point, we'll just have to consider it case closed. Although I find that unfortunate, I have personally had similar experiences in the past. So what was the result of this? He lost a sale. And to that, I say, so what? You did the right thing. It's your job to do field underwriting, to do the honest thing, and to do the right thing, even if it costs you money. He protected his business from a potential E&O claim. He also protected the company from not writing a policy incorrectly. And for that, I commend him. What's the point of this story? Well, there are going to be many times in your life that you want to do things on your own terms, and you want to make sure that you're doing the right thing, and you're going to have to sacrifice a sale. And you know what? That's okay. There are some younger agents out there or some of you who are in the startup phase who are thinking, well, I just need to write any policy that I can. And while that's understandable, you want to always make sure to do the right thing. You want to follow the underwriting guidelines. You want to apply your instincts regarding the underwriting process and make responsible decisions for your future. Sometimes you're going to miss out on a sale and that's okay. There will be other clients. I understand there are people out there who might say, well, I haven't had a sale in days and this guy probably never would have had a problem. But to me, that's not an acceptable answer. I can't tell you how many times I've turned people down where they asked me to do something that was what we'll call questionable or a gray area 
regarding helping them purchase a policy. Don't do that. Stick to your morals, stick to your plan, and always focus on doing the right thing. Why should you do this? Well, it goes into today's topic of building a business on your own terms. What does that mean? You often hear people say that. If you follow a lot of bloggers or Instagram accounts that discuss wealth or other forms of business or entrepreneurship, you'll see that they often quote very successful people who say things like, I built my business on my own terms. Let's talk about that. That concept is going to have different meaning for different people. Let's look at some examples. But first, while I'm giving the examples, I want you to think about the fact that doing things on your own terms, so to speak, is going to make your business experience more enjoyable. It's the same as you saying yes or no to going out one night when you know that you're tired and you'd rather sleep. If you choose to sleep and you wake up in the morning feeling fresh and ready to conquer the day, you'll realize that you did it on your own terms. You said no to something that you could have done because people were pressuring you to do it, such as going out at night. It's a small thing, but it's a similar analogy. To me, building a business on your own terms is not something that I first understood when I started. It was something I was doing based on my own personality and my own lifestyle. When I first started, when I was younger, I had essentially unlimited energy. I could work all night. I could contact leads all day long. I could do a long series of follow-ups. Then I could spend the evening doing marketing, creating little websites. I could develop new brochures that I would mail people. I could do things all night long that were purely focused on my business. I would actually get a small amount of sleep and I would wake up the next day and I was ready to do it all again. But I didn't realize what I was doing at the time. I was working in the business in a way that suited my personality and my lifestyle. It helps when you're a little bit younger and starting out in your business, especially if you don't have a lot of responsibility, perhaps if you don't yet have a family or you're single and you don't have any children, you likely have more free time and the ability to work on your own schedule, and it's great. But as time goes on, you'll find out what works for you. And there are different terms, so to speak, when we talk about building a business on your own terms that you're going to apply to your lifestyle and to your business that are going to make you happy and help you find success in a way that really suits what you're looking for. So let's look at a few different examples here of doing things on your own terms. One is, as I mentioned, creating a lifestyle business where the business is designed around the lifestyle that you aspire to live. Another concept is the doing-it-all-yourself type of business. Some people really just want to run a small home-based business with no assistance or a small family business where only their spouse or child helps them, and that might work for somebody. Other people might want to build their business with an infrastructure that allows them to focus 100% on selling while they delegate all the other tasks to a customer service representative. Some people are going to use an outsource-everything model. If you're not familiar with that term, it's a concept, very generally speaking, where you will do the one thing that you desire to do or that you're extremely good at, and then you will outsource everything else. You will pay for services, you will pay people to assist you, and they will take the responsibilities for the things that you do not want to do. That's actually becoming incredibly easy in the modern world. Let me rephrase that. It's becoming easier than it was in the past. 
there's nothing truly that's that easy. So let's narrow it down a little more. Let's talk about business specifically. How can you build your business again on your own terms? Well, one thing you can do is choose what you want to sell. I know it's tempting in the property and casualty agency business to want to sell everything. People are going to contact you and ask you for all kinds of quotes. I remember a time when a customer had bought an off-road vehicle policy, a personal auto or several personal autos, and a homeowner's policy. And one day she called me and said, my husband's getting a helicopter. Can you get me a quote? Well, I made a decision at that time that I could not help her. And I let her know that she might want to call an agency that focuses on this product. Did I miss out on a sale? Sure. But that's okay. It's okay not to catch every fish. Fortunately, she did not leave me for the other agency that she went to because they actually only sold aviation types of products. Next, you can determine what style of business you want to have. Are you looking to be something like a high-end store like Gucci or are you looking to be more of a Walmart type of model? Are you looking to serve a lot of people with a series of small policies or are you looking just to help a few people with higher premium policies. Some people call those select clients or a private client group or high net worth clients. What, what am I talking about here? Let's look at some things you could do. First, you could say something like, I'm only willing to sell policies that have a certain minimum premium or policies that generate a certain minimum amount of revenue. When I first started, some a few years in, I had really gotten into selling golf cart insurance. Now, you might laugh and think, well, how many people have golf carts? And you would be surprised. It is a very significant number. But what I experienced from that was a very good life lesson. I sold a lot of very low-cost policies. I mean, $100 premiums, $200, maybe $300. And I was receiving small commissions of, you know, $15 or $20, etc. And I was still putting in the same amount of work I would have to for a more significant policy. Now, my thought there was that I would be able to sell them the golf cart policy and then cross-sell them their homeowners and auto and landlord. But what I ultimately found out was that most of these customers were going to be monoline customers. And they looked at me as only the guy that sold them the policy for their golf cart. And they paid that $100 every year and thought I was getting rich off it, some people would say. Just hearing that makes me laugh. Anyways, so the point of the story is, at that time, I did not have a minimum premium or any sort of minimum revenue, so to speak, that I wanted to do. So then I thought to myself, well, what else can I do to change my business style? I thought to myself, well, I could focus on only high net worth clients. Now, I find that high net worth clients are going to be more high touch, meaning you will need to communicate with them more frequently throughout the year. They might not want to work with any sort of service center, which I understand because they want to have a personal relationship of some sort with their agent. And that's great. At the time, I had already decided I was no longer interested in doing outbound marketing and having meetings and lunches and having people come into the office for several hours to discuss their needs. I had already built a model that was generating business online, and I was focused primarily on inbound leads, which tend to not be the high net worth clients. I understand, as you can imagine, someone who hypothetically lives in a home that costs 
$5 million might not go online to shop for their insurance. And in the future, even with insurance being sold largely online, they probably still won't. That's a big difference between high net worth clients. The same applies in a lot of industries, whether it's real estate or even working with a financial planner or stockbroker. What else can you do here? Another thing you can do is narrow down how you want to do your business. Let's take the example of what I was doing. I was writing a large number of low-cost policies. So I clearly had chosen to be a volume business rather than a niche-focused business that was focusing on a small group of clients that I could service but would generate enough revenue where I could stay in business. So then I said to myself, I'm okay doing some of this business, but what can I do to make it easier for me to do the business, realizing that these aren't going to turn into clients who are going to purchase multiple policies? At that time, service centers were becoming more popular. And I found that a lot of the clients I was working with were more than happy to call a carrier's 800 number and work directly with them. Eventually, I was noticing that some of these service centers were offering to cross-sell the customers. So that was working out great for me. Even though the service center would take a percentage of the revenue that's quite significant, they were able to take calls from the customers and from time to time, not very often, I would see them cross-sell the client another policy. And that was great. I had transferred that uh, labor from my office to the service center. So the key thing here is asking yourself, are you looking to be a high-touch agency where you have frequent contact with the customer and you provide a lot of service directly and not through a service center and not through a website? Or are you looking to run a low-touch business? There are more and more call center models that have come into the world of insurance now. And a lot of those places are going to make the initial sale and from that point transfer all of the service into a carrier service center. That model allows their people to focus solely on sales and not to be burdened by the immense amount of service. Can you imagine doing service over and over for a customer that paid you $10 a year in commission? If you took five phone calls for them and spoke on the phone to them for 20 minutes at a time, you would be making a dollar an hour or possibly a little more. It's painful. The availability of these service centers actually is going to vary, and you're going to have to think about this when planning your business model. If you're focused on specialty policies or, say, for example, a lot of surplus lines or professional liability, you'll probably find that service centers are not available for this. So what you'll have to do is determine if the type of policies that you're selling or the classes of business in those categories are going to require a lot of service and if that's something that you want to provide. So far, we've narrowed it down to a few things when it comes to building the business on your terms. Determining if the type of business you're selling works within your lifestyle. Determining if you need to outsource things or if you want to hire people to work for you so that you can delegate to them. Next, we're looking at, do you want to work on a large volume or do you want to focus on what I like to call high net worth clients or the private client group? This all comes down to a question for me of, is it high touch or low touch? How many times a year will you need to communicate with the client? What will be the cost of servicing the client? Are you going to be able to even provide this service or is it going to be somebody else who provides a service? Are you able to use some sort of outsource service model that isn't a service center? 
Could you hire someone to help you? And can you train them to be up to speed with what you're looking to do? The next part of building things on your own terms means helping people the right way and determining what you want to sell to them. For example, I recently spoke with an agent that said if somebody calls and asks for minimum limits in some states on auto insurance, that might be 15000 per person and 30000 per accident. In fact, there's one state that doesn't require any liability at all. And they said to me, we don't sell insurance to people who buy minimum limits. We just tell them to call somebody else. Now, if you work in non-standard auto, for example, you're likely dealing with a lot of people who are looking for that type of coverage because they're purely price shoppers. So you're going to use a different model than what they're using. Also, if you work in the non-standard market, there is a decent chance that there won't be the option for a service center, and then you'll need to provide a lot more service. So you want to make sure that you're reviewing what the cost is for you to service a client. Are there fees that you may be able to charge them that are legal in your state or for the type of policy that you're selling? It's very important to understand not only your revenue, but the cost to generate the revenue, meaning like what you might have spent on the lead, or the cost to maintain the customer. Does it take you one customer service rep to maintain 1,000 clients? Well, if 1,000 clients hypothetically generates you $75,000 a year, then if you're paying that person $50,000 a year, after taxes and all your other expenses, you might not be making that much money. In fact, we're going to discuss that in a future episode. So when you're analyzing how you're building your business, you have to decide what types of policies you want to sell, who you want to sell them to, do you have a minimum amount of revenue that you need to generate, and are you willing to sell only lower limit policies, or do you want to have a specific requirement, such as you have to buy at least $100,000 of liability on an auto insurance, or a million dollars on a general liability policy, or professional liability policy, for example. After having been in business for more than a decade, I found myself reevaluating exactly what I want to do now and in the future. Unfortunately, due to the commoditization of insurance and having people primarily focused on price more and more when they contact us, I've been analyzing a few different things that I mentioned here today. So one day, I sat down and said, what is it that I want to sell? What type of customer do I want to have? Is it a specific niche? And how much do I need to earn per policy to even justify selling it? At this point in my career, I found that I don't want to sell policies that earn what I call micro commissions. I do sell them as an accommodation and our office will sell them as an accommodation to current customers. For example, if somebody has a commercial policy, we'll surely help them with their personal renter's policy, even though it might cost $10 a month. Today, the agency is largely focused on the commercial market and commercial insurance because we see that as the future of an insurance agent's role in the purchasing process. So with that in mind, I looked at several niches that I could focus on and I determined how much revenue they could generate per policy as well as overall, of course. And I looked at the amount of service that would be required, the application process, the underwriting process, and the level of difficulty involved with both getting the quote and gathering all of the relevant information, as well as the level of difficulty that would be involved once the person becomes a client. I did a lot of evaluation, and I determined that there were some products I simply did not want to sell anymore. 
for my office, it had to do with things like industries that require a large number of certificates. For example, I've seen customers that pay a $500 to $750 annual premium, which will generate somewhere between $50 and $75 in commission, potentially a bit more if you're paid more, but let's use 10% for now for the example. And those industries might require 50 to 75 certificates in a single year. That's a lot of work for a very small amount of money. People often tell me, it just takes a few seconds to make a certificate. Well, <laughs> I, I, I can't help but laugh because a lot of times there's special wording involved or additional things that they need, such as endorsements, and that few seconds can turn into minutes, and those minutes can possibly even turn into an hour. So if somebody requests a number such as 30 certificates in a year, let's pretend that each certificate takes 10 minutes to generate as well as a few minutes to think about. So let's say 15 minutes times 30, that's 450 minutes. Do you realize that that's over five or six hours and you might have earned a commission of $50? That's $10 or less an hour. Is that really worth your time? I know some of you might say, well, I'm just building my business or maybe that client's going to buy five or six more policies. Sure, it's possible, and that might be right for you. But it's really something to think about if you're making a marketing plan. While some of you may have well-established businesses at this point with countless customers and might not actually even need any new customers, what I primarily hear today is people I talk to in the business, on the front lines and down in the trenches with all of us, is them telling me that they don't really have people walking in like they used to, and unfortunately, they're still paying the rent of a retail location. And they don't really have another source of advertising other than perhaps some mortgage companies that might refer them personal lines. And they really have no form of marketing plan for commercial business. With this in mind, even if you're well-established, if you plan on being in business for many years to come and you don't focus on specific niches in commercial or you write a lot of non-standard auto, for example, you want to look towards the future. I'm not saying to ignore what you're doing, keep helping the customers that you're helping, keep delivering the service that you're delivering to them. And if someone comes in with a similar policy uh, and they need something that is not in your new plan, that's okay. But now may be the time for you to lay out a plan for the future. Just take out a simple piece of paper and make a few notes to determine what it is you're looking for. Once again, are you interested in focusing on a certain commercial niche so that you have a good understanding of it and you're very familiar with the revenue, the risks, the policy terms, the exclusions? Or are you looking to keep a volume type of business where you write a lot of low premium policies, but you have a large number of them that you can pass on to a service center? At this stage in your life, are you looking to continue doing marketing in person? Do you attend networking groups or do you go to events or mixers or chamber of commerce events? I find that when agents are starting, they actually tell me they do a lot of that. But when I ask them what type of business they're looking for, they don't have an answer for me. And what they say is, whatever I can get, I'm just starting. If I had a time machine, I would have started by focusing on specific niches and I would have had a good understanding of the amount of revenue generated for each policy. Now, if you happen to live in a high net worth neighborhood, say, for example, where the average income is $150,000 or the average home price is $2.5 to $5 million, 
Your personal lines customers might be different than what most people see. But most people I talk to tell me they're dealing with a lot of price shoppers and it's become very competitive. One great thing about being focused on a niche, especially in commercial, even if it's commercial auto, is that you're going to find that people may not be able to shop online for the product or they're going to have something where they want to speak with an advisor or an insurance agent like yourself. So here are today's takeaways. Make a plan for the future. But first, start by looking at your current business and determining if you know everything that you're selling, are you focused on a specific type of customer or or a specific niche? And by type of customer, that could be a local customer. That could be customers that have golf carts or customers that have boats or customers that like to use motorcycles or RVs. If you're on the commercial side, you want to look at different things like not only the industries that you're writing, but what opportunities are there. In some industries, there are obviously going to be more opportunities to cross-sell a product. For example, there are industries where someone's going to purchase general liability, professional liability, commercial auto, workers' comp, and property insurance. When I first jumped into the commercial insurance realm, I started the same way I did with personal lines, and I started selling many low-cost policies that had premiums sometimes as low as $300 or less. And once again, I found myself doing a lot of service and earning a very little amount of money. I remember this one time, a gentleman who was working at another insurance agency focused solely on non-standard auto had contacted me and said, I heard you write a lot of commercial insurance and I really want to get into that. So I said, well, why is that? And he said, well, the money's in commercial. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, there are huge premiums and huge fees. Well, I then proceeded to explain to him that, in fact, many of the commercial policies we sell have an average premium of, say, $500, and we don't charge any fees because of the rules or the type of customer. And he was shocked. He thought that commercial insurance was where the money is. Now, if you look at the huge brokerages, sometimes they're called alpha houses or what I like to call the $100 million premium brokers, sure, they're working with significantly larger clients than I was. They're not working with clients who pay $500 and want to make 12 installment payments. They're working with clients that pay premiums of three dollars or $500,000. Let's just say those aren't as easy to come by as the ones that want to pay $500. I'm sure you can imagine that. So what I did was I reviewed many of the types of policies that we sold, and I told him about those ones that could actually generate significant premiums, but I let him know that those were probably going to be based on some sort of relationship, which he would have to develop, and he suddenly lost interest. He researched it a little bit and spent a little time working on it and then realized that it wasn't exactly what he pictured. So if you're thinking of jumping into commercial from the personal side, well, I think that's great. But you want to make sure, one, that you're educated on the products, that you have a good understanding of what each line covers. You want to have a good understanding of what your carriers can offer. Make sure you understand, of course, the exclusions as well as the premiums. There's more to the policy than the price. Remember that. Next, you'll want to examine if the type of insurance you're going to sell is going to be within the boundaries of the service that you can offer. Or is there a service center available? A great way to start, actually, when you're planning your future and planning the niches that you might want to get into is to look at the appointments you have. Look at the Carrier Appetite Guide, which is essentially their guide 
to telling you what they'd like to write and what's in their target uh, box, so to speak, and then going from there. For example, we have carriers that will say things like, uh, this one has a high hit ratio. If you're not familiar with hit ratio, we're talking about the quote to bind ratio. What they're saying is, if you quote this, you're likely to bind it with us. I ask people all the time, why would you want to quote something that you're not likely to bind? I find that when other agents call me to ask if I know about something or if I can somehow help them, they'll bring up a type of commercial insurance that is very competitive and is highly driven by price and requires a lot of service. I often ask them, why do you want to write this? And they say, well, there are a lot of those customers out there. And I think to myself, there are a lot of customers that do a lot of things that are a lot easier than what you're looking at. So then I always ask them, well, how many of these have you closed? And they say, well, I've gotten about 500 leads. And I said, but you didn't answer my question. How many of them have you actually closed? And the numbers are shockingly low. I guess we all have a different way of learning and everybody appreciates a different challenge. When you're trying to develop your commercial marketing plan, meaning your marketing or future plans for your commercial lines business you're going to write, talk to your marketing reps. There are a lot of great marketing reps that are really helpful. I have a few acquaintances and friends that are very helpful. They're knowledgeable about their products. And when I ask them for some guidance as to what they're writing a lot of or what has a high closing ratio, they will have an answer. And if they don't, they're going to get it for me. Also, a lot of the carriers uh, that you may work with directly might provide you with marketing materials or things like hot lists or things like uh, target market lists, things of those nature. You want to look at the classifications that you can write, ideally easily and with, without a lot of extra underwriting documents. Now, if you want to focus on high ticket items, meaning harder to place insurance, you'll probably have to look into more surplus lines products. There are a lot of products out there that are not available from your everyday carriers uh, whose names you know from television or from being in the industry. You might have to work with uh, surplus lines brokers and wholesalers and MGAs to get access to some of these products, but the reward can be much more significant. There are some carriers that have minimum premiums of $5,000 and $10,000 and some industries that have $25,000 minimum premiums. Let's just say that's a lot more significant than selling a $100 golf cart policy. Imagine that. Let's say your average policy premium right now is $1,000, and you sell one single policy with a $25,000 premium. That's like selling 25 customers at one time, and you only have to provide service to one customer. These are all little things to think about. And if you have other things on your mind, make sure to send me an email. You can reach us at team at planetoftheagents.com. That's T-E-A-M at planetoftheagents.com. Just want to thank you again for listening and joining me, listening to my life experiences in the insurance business. And I hope you get a lot of information that you can take away to help grow your business. I'll let you get back out there. Keep on hustling. Keep on selling. Grow your business. And of course, always retain those customers. Take care. Thanks for listening to Planet of the Agents. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a single episode. And head over to our website at planetoftheagents.com to sign up for our newsletter and get even more information on how to grow your insurance agency.